In this election, there will be more voting opportunities for voters across more voting days. Most voters will likely only spend minutes inside a voting place. Casting your vote be like getting a takeout coffee or picking up milk and eggs from the grocery store in terms of the safety protocols and time spent. Good afternoon. That is BC's Chief Electoral Officer Anton Bogman speaking earlier today. He, along with Public Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, talking about safety, about going through an election campaign and voting during a COVID-19 pandemic. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on the program today. We'll have time for your calls as well. But first, let's bring in Stephen Hopshin Can, Clinical Professor at the School of Population and Public Health at UBC. Joining us on the line now to talk more about this. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here, Jill. Uh, what What are the main concerns or, or what do you think of when we do question the idea of safety and going through uh, this very odd scenario of having an election campaign during a pandemic? Well, I, I think the traditional way we vote, um, you know, there's a lot of crowds lining up, uh, waiting to get in and, and, and have their vote. Um, these sorts of things I don't think we'll see this time. They've had, elections BC has had a lot of time to prepare for this, and uh, we've already seen elections in New Brunswick where um, a lot of changes can be put into place to make voting safer for people. Uh, the uh, chief electoral officer we just heard there, Anton Bogman, was saying uh, for people who will still physically go to the voting places and cast their ballot in person, you likened it, uh, as we heard there, to spending the same amount of time going to a grocery store, picking something up at a store. Uh, but we're also anticipating a huge increase in the number of people who will be taking the mail-in ballot option. Uh, d- any surprises there? No, no surprise. I mean, they make uh, an easy online application to get the uh, voter package if somebody's interested in going that route. So um, I think a lot of people in New Brunswick went that route and... Uh, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't do it here. It's it's very convenient. Is the main concern then, is it the campaign itself, when that we know it's not going to look the same as far as there won't be the same style of events and big rallies? Is it is it that, or is it the actual getting out to vote where there could be exposures, or we need to be making sure that we have those safety protocols in place? Uh, well, I guess both are, are need to be considered. I think the campaigning... Uh, like we saw in New Brunswick, was, was a lot to do with social media, phone calls, and emails. So that's quite safe. Um, here, um, I think people have concerns about in-person voting, but they are having uh, advanced polls, uh, a week of advanced polls that people can go to. And um, so they're, they're trying to space things out as much as possible. A lot of people will be mailing in voting, so polling won't be as busy as we traditionally see it. Uh, the uh, electoral officer as well today was asked about schools in that schools are generally used for uh, advanced polling, uh, advanced voting and on voting day. Uh, the BCTF uh, yeah, has come out saying they have concerns about that. So it was confirmed today the schools will only be used on Saturdays and there will be intense cleaning or increased cleaning protocols. Does that, uh, do you think, put at ease any concerns that people might have had about that overlap in schools? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any uh, uh, serious risk there with the protocols that they have in place and limiting the number of people uh, going into the polls at time and, and the training of people working in those polls on personal protective equipment. 
Uh, you mentioned New Brunswick as well. Are there other lessons that we learned or can take from in the New Brunswick election? Um, yeah, I think uh, they did. Their elections office did campaign to tell people to vote early too. They had a couple of advanced polling days, um, and so a lot of people voted early, uh, and it reduced crowds on the actual election day. And so here in BC, we've got a week of advanced polls that people can take advantage of um, throughout the day to um, reduce crowds when you're going to the polls. And do you think there's any more concern in the timing in that New Brunswick's election was held basically at the end of summer? Ours is going to be held in the fall when we're into cold and flu season. Is that a concern? Um, Well, I think people have been, uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh, businesses open right now. So people are used to uh, social distancing, wearing a mask, uh, uh, keeping their hands clean. So I I don't think there'll be uh, too much concern. Um, You know, uh, Saskatchewan's also having their election at the end of October, too. So it should be okay. All right. Uh, We will leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk a bit more about this. Sure. Great to talk with you, Jill. Well, for the next few weeks at this time daily, we are going to check in with Richard Zussman, who is Global News online journalist based in Victoria for Richard's report, taking a look at what is happening on the campaign trail, taking a look at some of the ridings where there could be the biggest battles. And Richard joins us today, uh, taking a look at where the leaders are. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jill. I'm thrilled to do this, and I'm uh, excited that we'll get to do this for the next uh, five weeks. And you're a busy, busy guy keeping track of everybody today. So where (laughs) is everybody? Yeah, so Andrew Wilkinson started the day in Surrey. So you'll remember that's a spot where the Liberals lost two seats in 2017 and also lost the new riding there. Those two seats they lost were both previously held by cabinet ministers. And so Surrey is often seen as a battleground. So Wilkinson kicked off the campaign in Surrey asking for three uh, television debates through the duration of the campaign. Uh, That was the messaging from today. And uh, last time we had two debates, so this would be an increase to three. Uh, I subsequently asked uh, John Horgan about that, and he said, well, it's up to the broadcasters about whether they want three debates, but he would be willing uh, to take Wilkinson on at any point. And Sonia First now would obviously be involved in that as well. Horgan was in North Vancouver, and the theme for today is around health care. So Horgan making the commitment that there will be 10 additional uh, ur- primary urgent care centers by the end of the year. Clearly, the work is already done to make that possible. You know, the government has made a big focus around these primary urgent care centers. Uh, they are opening up all across the province. And this is a first promise from John Horgan, but it's almost a certainty considering the work is most likely almost done on that regard. And so Horgan is with Bowen Ma. North Vancouver's a riding that they picked up last time, North Vancouver Lonsdale. Uh, and they need to hold on to that one. That's seen as a crucial piece of their Metro Vancouver plan. Sonia First and now uh, will be here uh, in Victoria area, up in the riding of Saanich North in the Islands with Adam Olson. The two of them, when government was dissolved yesterday, were the two sitting Green MLAs. So the Greens are further behind the others in terms of election planning, Jill. They uh, don't have, they have only three, I think, candidates out of the 87 ridings. 
Uh, they were really caught off guard here in many regards, considering First Now was elected last week as the party leader. So there's a lot of catch-up they need to do, and so they're spending some time in Victoria uh, and the surrounding area, which is their base. Uh, and I know uh, John Horgan was asked repeatedly again today why he called the snap election. Do you think five yeah. weeks from now we're still going to be talking about the fact that he's asked again, why are we at the uh, why are we in an election campaign right now? I think it will fade away after the debate or the three debates. We'll see. I think those will be central questions around the debate. But eventually voters just need to take Horgan's answer and decide if that's good enough for them. You know, you can ask him a hundred times, he is going to say the same thing, that he needed a mandate to manage the pandemic, that there was uncertainty in Victoria, which I don't really think was the case, but that they want a clear path towards implementing a plan towards recovery as well as managing COVID-19. That's the message. British Columbians need to decide if they buy it or not. And I think once we get through the debates, that will no longer be the prevailing question. We're going to focus on different plans. Like, you know, how will, through if this pandemic is going to last as long as they say, how are, is each party going to manage schools in a pandemic? How is each party going to manage the healthcare system? How are they going to manage tourism, the economy? Like, these are the questions that people will start turning to once we get over the fact that we're in an election that, as you so rightly tweeted yesterday, only one person really seemed to want. We also heard from the chief electoral officer earlier today, and not a huge surprise, there's been a large increase in people registering, asking for the mail-in ballots, but that's going to make the election day itself and the results different. <laughs> yeah, it is. I found that press conference fascinating this morning. Anton <laughs> Bogman, the CEO of Elections BC, uh, and Dr. Bonnie Henry, few different things there. Last time, 2017, 6,500 people requested mail-in ballots through the entirety of the campaign. Today, more than 20,000 since 6.30 this morning. So 6.30 this morning, they got the numbers. So starting yesterday until 6.30 in the morning, more than 20,000 people. They are expecting, Elections BC is, that up to 40% of the electorate may want to vote by mail. And why that's important in some regards is that the way the law works here in BC is those ballots are not counted until nearly two weeks after election day. So we may still have 40% of ballots not counted and therefore it could be very hard to determine the result on October 24th. And we may not know who the premier is until early November, which will create this really strange waiting period, even stranger than what we saw, I think in some regards after the last election, uh, where we had that minority government situation in the negotiations. Also standing out today, the fact that Elections BC is planning on using schools for polling stations, but only on weekends. And during the weekdays, they will not use schools. The BC Teachers Federation really concerned around that. Elections BC says they'll hire extra cleaners to ensure that everything is sanitized when they come in and out of the polling stations. And also some sort of new guidelines around how we're actually even going to vote. If you don't vote by mail, there are some options for those in isolation or long-term care to vote by phone. For those voting in person, there will be seven advanced polling days. That's up from six last time. And also there will be plexiglass shields, distancing, a strong suggestion voters wear masks, and then sanitizing your hands before and after voting. You can even bring your own pen. So 
voting will look very different, but they have thought through a lot of things to ensure that voting is done safely. So it's a suggestion that voters wear masks? It's not going to be mandatory? It will not be mandatory. It looks like it will be mandatory for staff, but it will be a strong encouragement that if you are going to vote in person, you wear a mask, and then all those other pieces will be in place as well around physical distancing, uh, six feet apart, uh, barriers between um, the voter and the staff. There's only gonna be one staff member at a table instead of two, two is pretty typical. So all those precautions will be in place uh, if people decide not to wear a mask, but the strong suggestion will be that you wear a mask when you go to vote. And staff there will be wearing PPE as well. I'm getting email from people saying, well, why don't they just change the rules so we don't have to wait the two weeks after for such a huge number of mail-in uh-huh. ballots? My guess is that's legislation. That's the law, and they can't just yeah. sign off and say, okay, we're going to change how we're doing that. Exactly. And, and I was thinking about exactly that this morning, Jill. You know, why not, as if they come in early, just put those into the general pool? But it's law, and it's the Elections Act, and it must be followed. And because we had a snap election... You know, we don't have time now. We cannot legally change that law. So that's why they are not going to be able to speed that up. And I think it will create a potential period of uncertainty uh, that could stress some people out. But don't don't make that your reason for why you want to vote in person. (laughs) If you want to vote in mail, vote by mail. Don't be worried about what's going to happen on the back end of things. And it's available on the Elections BC website how you can request that package. All right. Uh, Lots of information today. Uh, We will continue on doing this. And Richard, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Can't wait. Thanks, Jill. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to take a break from election coverage to talk about travel. And oftentimes you want to be at the top of a list. It means you've done something good. Not so much in this case. Air Canada has topped a U.S. list, but this is a list of complaints over refunds. And Travel Best Bets president Claire Newell is joining us now to talk a bit more about this. Claire, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Jill. Yeah, you know what? Air Canada doesn't want to be the top of this list um it's it's a shame, um, and there were a lot of complaints. I think it was just over a thousand complaints. People wanting refunds versus what they're doing, which is offering people uh, future travel credits. Um, it's been an interesting process to watch this, Jill. We've seen Air Canada take the stand originally of um, putting those future travel credits available for one year. Then we saw it for two years. Then we saw it at no expiry date, and then we saw it being able to be transferable completely. So, like, I could give it to you hmm. um, if you wanted to buy it from me. Um, so, it's it's also very, very difficult for all of the airlines, including Air Canada, because they, they do have a lot of complaints right now, um, but nobody had expected a pandemic situation. And because of that, none of the customer service departments are, are really... We're really ready. They have beefed up um, at a time when they don't have the funds to do that. So it's it's just been a really tough thing to watch for the airlines. Um, I do hope that the people who've complained in the U.S. do realize, though, that they have a lot more flexibility than any other airline is giving them. In fact, they're the most flexible airline right now that we, we know of. It's interesting when, with the, the number of complaints, though, when it comes to the refund, because I get why people are angry, especially if they're not going to be flying, if they're not comfortable. But you've also got to think, if every single person got a refund, the comp- how would the company even survive? Well, especially Air Canada. Air Canada and WestJet um, are two are 
or any of the airlines here in Canada, we're the only country that actually hasn't come to the aid of our airlines um, of the G7 countries. So it's uh, still yet to be determined whether and when or if they're going to be getting any funding. Um, but the reality is I, I can't see any of the major airlines surviving if they don't have help, which would be really sad to see some of these airlines. But without the help, uh, you know, they can't hang on. They can't hang on. And and with this too, do you think, like you said, with the flexibility, because I've also been hearing from people who had their flights uh, cancelled or had their trips cancelled right around that time of kind of April when people didn't really know what was going on. They kind of mm-hmm. left it to the last minute thinking, it's not that bad, I'll still be able to go. Uh, and you're right, so they've done this now that they can transfer it, families can put them together, but there are still firm dates. So I know one family, they have four tickets that they were hoping to meld them together, but because it was before they actually made the change that they could could do the transferring, they still can't do it. And there is a level of frustration there. Yes, they should actually uh, get back to the airline and, and speak to them about that. I had some similar cancellations for flights in April and May, and all of them have been rolled into future travel credits with complete flexibility. So they should be able to do that. Hmm, all right, that's that's some good news. Now, Air Canada is also trying to get people back flying, telling them that it, that it's safe, and they've offered some really interesting uh, bulk prices when it comes to flying. What's that all about? Well, they they have like a one week sale. It actually ends tomorrow for those people who are interested. It's unlimited flights within Canada for a flat monthly fee, and they start um, including tax at the lowest tier of two thousand two hundred and sixty dollars, which is a lot of money, and um, but. It's for one month, and all the, fla- the the plans that I've looked at are flexible, including that lowest level, meaning you can change or cancel your flight plans up to an hour before departure. And they all contribute to altitude qualifying miles through Air Canada. Um, the stipulations are you have to be a Canadian resident, but you also have to be an Aeroplan member. Again, it, it actually ends um, September the 23rd, and all the information is on their website, aircanada.com. But what I will, would say um, to consumers who are thinking about this, keep in mind that there are a lot of sales from the airlines at the moment. I just saw one that came out um, that was for all flights that were uh, going 20% off, all, all flights. So, And that was a Canadian airline. So you just have to look to see where you want to go. Um, definitely, if the, you have a month off and you're able to go and really explore our country, Um, unfortunately for us living in BC, we can't go into the Atlantic bubble without quarantining. So there's no consistent rules yet, uh, across the country, which makes it, you know, unfortunate. But if you want to do it, you know, hoping that in, in months ahead, you might be able to go into the uh, parts of the Atlantic bubble that we're not allowed to at the moment, you could do that. So it's not just for, you know, next month, you can pick the month, uh, and, and, and travel. The other thing is good value if you want to go into the little spokes, you know, like the, our Vancouver to say Prince Rupert or Prince George, really expensive. So if you really wanted to use the spider web of the whole network, it, it's worth it. Uh, because I was wondering who they were kind of targeting with that because business travel has plummeted with companies yes. not flying people around. So it does seem so you, it does seem people maybe if you are in a position where you have extended time off or you've got that big chunk of time and you just want to travel around the country. Yes, I think so. I really would have loved to have done Atlantic Canada myself. I mean, what a gorgeous part of the world. And it's not something that I've done and spent a lot of time in, but we're not even allowed to go there yet. So um, for some people, you need to look at where you're going and how many flights you would potentially take because it's not always the best deal, right? 
Right. And do you think it's still, it, it's it's the, the safety protocols as far as some people might hear that and think, oh, why are the airlines encouraging people to fly, encouraging people to do unnecessary travel when we're now concerned about the second wave and we don't really know where things are going to go with COVID? Right. Well, it's interesting because the stats from the airlines, the while there's exposure, the transmissions have been slim to none. In fact, WestJet um, announced that between March and the end of August that they had flown 725,000 people. There were 19,300 plus flights, of which 230 would have been on the exposure list, where someone who had later found out that they did test positive for COVID-19 and would have had it while they were on board, there were still zero cases of transmission. So, um, you know, it's everyone's wearing a mask and they are taking really, really good care on board. Um, the, the reality is, is you're not putting it behind you, but they are enforcing masks and they're not moving about the cabin much. The seat in front of you acts as a natural barrier. So there's lots of things about the aircraft. You just have to be uh, very mindful when you're going along the process to pack your own wellness kit if you're if you do need to fly. My son flew with it all, you know, the masks <laughs> and the the hand sanitizer, the wipes, um, gloves in case he needed it. I gave him a shield in case he felt like he wanted to do that. And you, you're not putting it behind you, but the airlines, if you dig a little bit deeper, are um, are quite safe. And that's okay putting them on board. That's uh, well, that is that is positive news. And I know I'm going to get hate email for even saying this out loud. But what is it? 92 days until Christmas right now. Oh. <laughs> ah, I know. But people um, are thinking about that and what it's going to look like. They are. Um, one of the things that we just don't know, like the big golden question is when are the mandatory quarantine upon return to Canada? When is that going to be lifted? Will it be um, shortened? So people go come back into Canada, quarantine, then maybe take a test. And if they have a negative COVID-19 test, then they're kind of set free rather than continuing on through the 14-day mandatory quarantine. We don't know when or if that's going to happen. One of the big... Um, hurdles for a lot of people was the fact that at the level three, which we are at still, which is to avoid non-essential travel outside of Canada, was the hurdle of not being able to get insurance. But now every airline and tour operator in Canada is now offering COVID coverage, um, including Air Canada, WestJet, Air Canada Vacations, WestJet Vacations, and Sunwing, free of charge to their customers who book air and um, hotel packages. They're all a little bit different. None of them will um, give you coverage to destinations with a level four, which is to avoid all travel, but they are all now offering this, which is just one added assurance. It's not travel insurance. I just want to clarify that, Jill. Mm -hmm. Um, What it is, is if you get COVID-19 while you are traveling, you are covered for any medical expenses, hospitalizations, as well as any necessary quarantine and flights back if you need to stay. So it does give people that extra coverage. But at this stage of the game, again, we still have our federal government saying avoid non-essential travel outside of Canada. All right, Uh, Claire, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much. Always good to talk with you. Thanks so much, Jill.
Thanks for being with us today. Well, one of the most difficult things throughout this pandemic has been families that have loved ones living in long-term care, wanting to visit them to make sure they're okay, trying to explain to them why they weren't able to visit and what's going on. There is a new guide that's helping to give families a bit more direction when it comes to visits in care homes. And joining me on the line to talk a bit more about this is Terry Lake, who is the CEO of the BC Care Providers Association. Terry, thanks so much for being with us again. Thanks for having me, Jill. Uh, What does this guide offer people uh, above and beyond what we already know about safety and visiting? Well, the guide is intended for the operators of long-term care and assisted living and to some degree uh, for independent living as well. But it is available on our website, so any member of the public can take a look at it. And it really is um, helpful for operators to uh, find ways and means of making the best visit possible because we know that uh, with COVID-19, obviously in March, there was uh, only essential visits and that pretty well shut down nursing homes to family members uh, that wanted to visit their loved ones. June 30th, um, the, uh, the restrictions were lifted to some degree so that, uh, you know, you can have uh, families visiting again with proper guidelines in place. And so there's been some confusion over what those guidelines are and how they can be implemented. And, uh, you know, because every facility, every home is a little bit different, um, there's been different interpretations of the guidelines. So we thought we would put this guide out and we work closely with other organizations like the Alzheimer's Society of BC, the Family Caregivers of uh, Vancouver Island, uh, and Safe Care BC, which is responsible for making sure that, you know, those working in uh, in care homes are kept safe as well. So that this would there would be kind of a consistent approach and some ideas that operators could follow to make the most of the visitation opportunities. So does it go above and beyond the idea of obviously monitoring for symptoms, making sure you're not anywhere near a care facility if you've got symptoms, uh, wearing that protective equipment? Does it go beyond that? Well, what it does is it outlines all the mandatory requirements like uh, booking visits in in advance, you know, keeping a contact list of all visitors, uh, making sure that uh, there is a screening protocol in place. And, you know, the uh, the province has stepped up with funding to allow operators to hire uh, personnel to uh, to do the screening and to facilitate visits. So that's been very helpful. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people are coming on board uh, as new employees to uh, to assist with this. But what it does, too, is it, it gives sort of um, operators uh, more creative ideas. For instance, if you're looking at um, options uh, for outside, you know, it gives you different ideas on how to provide a, a space outside. For instance, at the uh, Dementia Village uh, in Langley, the, the Village Langley, they created an outdoor space that's connected uh, by telephone, so you're actually quite physically separated, but families can come and and, uh, communicate with their loved one uh, through a a glass, but they're connected by telephone. And so that may be an option for other operators as well. Uh, It talks about um, using IT in a friendly way to keep people connected. Uh, And, you know, people are surprised often that uh, older British Columbians are quite capable of using new technology if if they are eased into it and and given, you know, uh, sort of friendly instructions. 
In fact, my uh, my son-in-law's grandmother in Kamloops uh, was given an iPad by the family, and I think she has more fa- friends on Facebook now than I do. Mm. So there are creative ways that you can keep families connected, and this guide is uh, to you know suggest some of those ideas to operators. Uh, how concerned are you as we go into the fall and winter and into cl- uh, cold and flu season that the the I guess it obviously depends on the numbers, but that things might have to be changed again or rules tightened again as far as visits. Well, you know, we're really fearful of that, Jill, because, um, you know, in the words of Dr. David Grabowski, who I interviewed for um, for our conference that's uh, going on this week, our virtual conference, uh, Dr. Grabowski is an expert in long-term care at Harvard, and he said that uh, this is the number one issue he hears about, um, and that while the, the virus obviously is uh, very detrimental to the health of, of older um, citizens, that actually isolation and loneliness uh, can also kill older adults. And so this is what we fear is, you know, the the worst case scenario where people are spending their last few months and unable to see their loved family members in that time. And and so, you know, this has been a huge issue in, in New York, for instance, uh, family members were protesting outside of the governor's office uh, recently, and they just eased restrictions uh, in the United States uh, following uh, Dr. Grabowski's report. So I, I think, you know, we, we really are hoping that, first of all, the virus, uh, the prevalence of the virus doesn't uh, increase, uh, that the, um, the, the now the, the supply of PPE in care homes is, is much greater than it was. People are getting used to managing the visitation policy. Uh, and with this guide, we hope that it will uh, do two things, keep people safe that are working in care homes, Uh, keep the residents safe, and also provide more opportunities for families to visit. But as the weather worsens, obviously um, those visits need to go inside more, and uh, that creates uh, more of a risk. And I know this isn't likely in the guide, but what about voting? There have been questions about making sure people in long-term care facilities will have access and be able to vote. Is that something that's been discussed, or will there be a new protocol on that? Well, it's interesting. Some people hear that, um, you know, Elections BC has been contacting long, long-term care homes about voting opportunities, and the public sometimes thinks that that will be a voting place for the public. And, of course, that is not the case. Uh, Elections BC has always established voting opportunities inside uh, care homes and assisted living uh, to make sure that those residents have an opportunity to vote. And I think with these guidelines and working closely with Elections BC that that will be uh, managed appropriately and of course, greater opportunities for voting by mail will be available, and uh, that's certainly an option. But, you know, care home staff will have to work with residents and families to make sure that people are aware of the opportunities to vote safely. And that's going to look different no matter what what the numbers are. Uh, just with the fact that we are in a pandemic, my guess is that will look different. Yes, uh, I, I imagine that this, you know the strict protocols will have to be um, uh, followed uh, for residents that are voting in in a care home, um, and uh, that will place a, an extra burden on staff. But again, we're thankful to have uh, funding that that allows uh, you know operators to be able to hire more people to do that. Um, but uh, it is something that everyone has to think about, and this is a whole new world, Jill, as you well know. So um, things we took for granted before uh, have to be thought out uh, quite differently and planned and we have to follow process to keep people safe all right we will leave it there for today terry lake thanks so much for your time thanks thanks to you jill thank you